If you would, take a Bible with me and open it to the very first book of the Bible. Back to Genesis chapter 11. If you will turn in your Bible back there, we'll have some other passages projected on the screen behind me, but we'll do a little bit of reading from our Bibles in just a few moments from Genesis chapter 11. Thank you for being here tonight. Hope that you've had a good day today, as has been the case, I think, just about every service that we've had. We have guests with us tonight, and I want you to know how much I appreciate you being here, and I hope that our time together in God's Word will just continue, even with the songs that we have been singing together this evening, to to get you to think. We have been spending all week long thinking about in various ways what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. That was uh, my assignment that I was very, very happy to, to talk through ahead of time and think through and, and build, arrange some lessons around that idea. And so on Sunday, we just spent three different sessions focused in a variety of ways on Jesus, the one that we have been called to follow. And on Monday night, we spent some time talking about who we are as a collection of disciples and what it is that we are being called to build together, that it's not up to us to determine what it is that our mission really is, but it has been defined by our head, by the cornerstone, by the the plan that God has laid out, that we are invited by God's grace to participate in. Last night, we really spent some time thinking through mindset, that it is awfully easy in today's world not to really see people the way that Jesus saw people. But if we are going to be faithful to our God-given mission, it begins with that mindset of our Lord loves lost people. And at one point I was lost, and at one point you are lost, and the Lord was patient enough with us and gracious enough to us to invite us into being a part of this holy temple in the Lord. But the great goal, of course, was not simply to save me, to save you, and then mission accomplished, let's, let, let's turn our attention in other directions. No, as long as our Lord provides time, the mission remains. This evening, I, I'd like to continue thinking along that mindset sort of track, especially in light of what we were talking about Monday, this idea of being built into a holy temple in the Lord and, and our mindset, your mindset as a, a local body of believers. I want to use really two different chapters that are right there back to back in your Bible, Genesis chapter 11, Genesis chapter 12. Let's begin by reading in Genesis 11 and verse 1. If your, your Bible is open there, this is after that great flood in the days of Noah. And verse 1 tells us that the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks 
and burned them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people and they all have one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. The Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off the building of the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Now, there's a lot there. Some things perhaps that that confuse us a little. But I want to draw your attention really to a couple of just really basic ideas that we see in those first nine verses of Genesis chapter 11. I want you to notice, especially in light of, of where we have been this week, thinking in terms of discipleship. Discipleship in, in the 21st century. There's a lot of things going on in Genesis chapter 11. But this is really the root of it all. They said to one another. And did you notice the language that was used there? And what we have is the beginning of verse 4. Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and it continues on in the latter part of that verse let us make a name for ourselves a lot of other things that are described there in Genesis chapter 11 but I'd really encourage you to notice those three things it is Descriptive of the mindset behind the building, right? And in a whole lot of ways, as as disciples of Jesus, if we're going to be the people that God would have us to be, a whole lot of it revolves around our mindsets or what the Bible consistently refers to as our hearts. We'll come back to Genesis 11 and Genesis chapter 12 in a few moments. If you will turn deeper in your Bible to Daniel in your Old Testament. If you can find Daniel chapter 4. I'd love to spend just a few minutes with you thinking about what we could call a Genesis 11 sort of heart. Because this is not the last time we run across this sort of language. And hopefully you, you know that over the course of the next few minutes, the, the goal is not simply to look at a whole lot of bad examples and, well, you know, here we are at a much better point in a much better frame of mind in history. Look at all of these people with such a foolish, short-sighted mindset, and this is really just a big history lesson. No, 
the more that we notice this Genesis 11 mindset, I hope the more you see it in the 21st century. If we're honest with ourselves, maybe the more we see it at times in the mirror. And that's a really big deal. That's where we're headed. But but let me show you how often we hear this sort of language and see this sort of heart all over the Bible. If your Bible is open there to Daniel chapter 4, this is in the days of mighty King Nebuchadnezzar. King over the great empire of Babylon. And we'll we'll just jump right into the middle of a context. Daniel chapter 4 and verse 29. At the end of 12 months, he, Nebuchadnezzar, is walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, let's just pause there. And you see a parallel. Already from Genesis 11 to Daniel chapter 4. The king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon which I have built? Awfully similar to where we started in Genesis chapter 11. If we let him finish his question. Is not this great Babylon that I have built by my mighty power as a, a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty. Now, there are a lot of other things that we could learn about Nebuchadnezzar from Daniel 1 and 2 and 3 and 4 and beyond. But this is enough to show you what sort of a mindset this man had. And it wasn't unique to him. It was as old as the early pages of the first book of the Bible. Perhaps more obscure than the example of Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel is that of The Edomites, a a nation on the other side of the Jordan River from the children of Israel. And we're not all that familiar perhaps with uh, who those people are or where they live. But you can travel to the other side of the globe and and you can see the area where they lived. You, You see this every once in a while, maybe on the Discovery Channel or National Geographic or, or, or a travel channel, where literally they had dwellings cut right out of the rock. And, and you listen in as God is describing them and their mindset through the, the little prophecy of Obadiah. Verse 3, the pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rock in your lofty dwelling, who say in your heart. We notice that in Genesis chapter 11. You say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground and what what was motivating that sort of a boastful statement look at where we live look at what we've been able to construct who's going to come way up here and bring us down well those were words that were flowing from the pride of their heart 
It's all over the Bible. It's not just Edomites on the other side of the Jordan River. It was one of Israel's most famous kings, son of David, Solomon. Who's described in 1 Kings 11 as when he was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods. And his heart was not wholly true. You think about that. The one who built that magnificent temple that we were talking about on Monday night in Jerusalem got to a point in his life when his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God as was the heart of David his father. Now, the marriages were a big deal. The idolatry was a really big deal. But what I want you to see from the very beginning of our time together this evening is where that's coming from. The biggest deal, the root issue was his heart. A heart that was not wholly true to the Lord his God. Open your Bible with me to the New Testament book of Luke. If you'll turn with me to the Gospel of Luke chapter 12. I want you to see this is not simply an ancient Old Testament problem. Having a Genesis 11 sword of heart. It shows up in one of Jesus' most famous parables. When Jesus wanted to help disciples and seekers know what really matters. What's it going to mean to be my disciple? What's what's it going to look like to follow me in the way that I, as, as the great Lord of all mankind, am calling you to do? What What's that going to look like? Well, a lot of physical, outward things that are called for, but Jesus, as he so often does, takes it down to the level of the heart. Luke chapter 12 and verse 16, he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself. You beginning to notice a pattern here? The more we look for that pattern, the more we will see it all over the Bible. He thought to himself, what shall I do for? I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger barns. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. That's what I'll do. A lot like where we noticed in Genesis chapter 11. And then I will be able to say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Who's that's all been for? Who's the great benefactor of all of that? Well, you are. (laughs) Soul, you can relax and eat and drink and be merry. You see, this can infect an entire nation. It can infect the heart of a king. It can infect uh, the the heart of uh, some individual who is very well off. It can even infect the mindset of a local church. So says Jesus, 
in Revelation chapter 3 as he communicates with the church in Laodicea. I want you to think we've gone from first book of the Bible to last book of the Bible. And here it still is. The Genesis 11 sort of heart. For you say, I am rich. I have become wealthy. And I need nothing, not realizing, even though you in many ways have prospered, in many ways you have become rich, you, you, you do in many ways really not need much of anything at all. You don't realize. You see, your, your mindset is blinding you to the greatest realities of all. And I don't know about you, but that that alarms me. That, that sobers me. Sometimes not as often as it should. And I would really challenge you to be sobered that what we see in the mirror isn't always what the Lord sees. What we think of ourselves, how we conceive of ourselves, perhaps as, as a family, as a married couple, as parents, as children, as an entire congregation. Perhaps what we think is, isn't how the Lord would describe. And if our goal is to be disciples of Jesus Christ, that's a really big deal. I'd encourage you to tuck away that Genesis 11 sword of heart. And the more that you look for it, I I really believe you will see it all over the pages of the Old and the New Testament. But our purpose this evening isn't really just to camp there. It's hopefully to open our eyes to the prevalence of this sort of a mindset. Hopefully the, the danger of that sort of mindset. Especially when the Lord intervenes and says you're not nearly as good or safe or secure or spiritual or healthy as you think you are. Let's do more than... Notice the sad. Go back with me where we started to the book of Genesis, this time Genesis chapter 12. And I want you to notice a very stark difference. And it's, it's only my conjecture, but I don't think this is a coincidence. I don't think it's an accident. There's a reason that, you know, 12 comes after 11, not just numerically, but, but thematically. We, we've seen this mindset all over the place. I want you to notice the difference. What a refreshing difference as we turn the page from Genesis chapter 11 to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 11, we've got this grand and glorious building project that can all really be traced back to them saying to one another. In Genesis chapter 12, we've got a different sort of introduction. We've got the Lord saying to Abraham. 
And we've been together enough this week, hopefully, to realize that is a seismic difference, right? Monday night we talked about how, well, there are lots of people who say, well, we, we've got a, a nice crowd of people and we've got some money and we've got some freedom, we've got some opportunities and, and, and really the, a lot of potential here. What do you want to build? That describes the, the mindset of a whole lot of religious people in the 21st century. What do you want to build? What do we think will get the attention of, uh, of the people around us? And even there we drew it back to, no, 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 no. This isn't our temple. This is the Lord's temple. This isn't our building project. This is the Lord's building project. It's not, if he especially is the object of our worship, we don't get to decide how we want to worship him. It's not about us. We're just invited by His grace to play a small part for the sake of His name. To His majesty and glory. And so this is more than just semantics. This is really a big deal. A difference between them saying to one another and God saying to Abraham. It's the difference of, come, let us make a name for ourselves. Let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And God saying, Abraham, I want to make something of you. And isn't that a great way of thinking about even thousands of years later what it means to be a disciple of Jesus nowhere as far as I can tell the Lord ever comes to anybody in scripture and says you know what I am so thankful and lucky fortunate to have you on my team I'm going to do great things for you now, there are blessings with following Jesus, right? There, there are blessings to having that personal connection to the vine that we started talking about on, on Sunday morning. There is life eternal and even abundant life right here and right now. But at the, the very heart, if you will, of what it means to be a disciple is there is a God. I'm not him. And he desires to do something through me. He desires to make something of me for the sake of his name and for the good of the people around me. You see that in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 2? The pivotal difference between in Genesis 11 verse 4. Come, let's make a name for ourselves to I'm going to bless you and I'm going to make your name great so that you will be blessing. Last night we talked about the power of being saved in order to be sent. Here it is again. Blessed in order to be a blessing. And I've been saying it all week long, but I, I, I say it because I mean it. There are times that I need to be reminded about that. How about you? I'm, I'm guessing you're human. You're the same way. 
That it is wonderful to be a child of God. And we thank God for his blessings. We praise him for his blessings. We, we do our best to express our, our appreciation for those blessings. But the Lord's great goal is not to bless me for the sake of blessing me. Or blessing you for the sake of blessing me. He blesses. In order that we might be a blessing. And so Genesis chapter 11. Great building project right? But you want to know what a greater building project than the Tower of Babel was? It's what started right here in Genesis chapter 12. Abraham hears all of this. And Genesis chapter 12 and verse 4 tells us that Abraham went. 75 years old. And he believes that God is telling him the truth. He he believes that God's way is the best way. He goes because in the language of Genesis chapter 15 and verse 6, he believes. He believes the Lord. And because he hears and he believes and he acts, he, he, do, he does what God is telling him to do. In both the Old and the New Testaments, God says, you want to know what a friend of mine looks like? Let's talk about Abraham. James chapter 2 and verse 23, the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. And maybe if that's all that we have, we think, well, you know, that's just James kind of reaching thousands of years back and, and connecting dots. I, I suppose that, that makes pretty good sense. But it's not James himself who does that. It's the Lord who does that. Let me tell you about my friend. God says, Isaiah 41 and verse 8, You, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend. So you open your Bible with me, if you will, to Hebrews chapter 11. And as you're turning there, let me, let me just ask you. Even as I ask myself, you, you, you soberly, seriously look in the mirror. Whose friend do you really want to be? Do you want to be on friendly terms with this world or do you want to be a friend of God? Do you want to be more like, you know, we, we become like those people we spend time with. We, we become like those people we open our hearts most consistently and, and, and openly to. Who do you want to be friends with? Abraham was a friend of God. And and Hebrews chapter 11 gives us the not so secret secret to the whole thing. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 8, by faith. Faith made Abraham God's friend. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same 
promise. He continues on in verse 10. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations. Again, I, I, I don't think this is a coincidence. Genesis 12 comes after Genesis chapter 11. We got a city with the greatest foundations anybody on the face of the earth had ever seen before. And human beings are amazing, right? We have said to one another for thousands of years in a variety of different ways, come, let us build ourselves. And and we've been able to do incredible things with our God-given intellect and all of the God-given resources around us. But what's the fundamental problem with a Genesis 11 sort of mindset. It's who we're building for. The motivation behind the building. What made Abraham a friend of God was he was looking past the amazing cities that his fellow human beings had been able to construct together, he was looking to a city that has foundations. You think about what that word would mean in in the ancient world before, you know, so-called earthquake-proof buildings. We we call things earthquake-proof, and every once in a while we have... Not so subtle reminders that even our earthquake-proof buildings really aren't that proof, right? But how much more in the ancient world to have a city that, that cannot be shaken. In many ways, it is this holy temple that we were talking about on Monday night, whose designer and builder is God. All right, your Bible's open there to Hebrews. Go with me a few pages later before we're done to the next to last book of the Bible, the little book of Jude. Now what we have spent 30 minutes talking all about this. All right, maybe interesting to you, maybe not. A lot of ancient history, a lot of, uh, you know, figures hard for us to, to envision in our minds. And, you know, it's in the Bible, so it's probably important. But I, I'm just not sure how all of this relates to me on an ordinary Wednesday night in 2022. If you'd give me a few more minutes to try and show you just how relevant this really is. Your Bible is open to that little book of Jude. What we've got is we've gone from the first book of the Bible all the way really through the scope of human history and we've noticed this Genesis 11 sort of heart. And we've noticed a different sort of mindset, right? Someone who listens to God and acts by faith and stands out in the world and God says, that's what I'm looking for. That's my friend. Now in this little book of Jude, ordinary men and women like you and me are being talked to. God's revelation is coming to a close. And I want you to listen to the sort of things that we're told. Jude verse 17. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions 
of the apostles of our Lord, Jesus Christ. You want to know why ordinary people were told over and over and over again, you need to remember. You need to remember those loved by God, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's because the Lord has spoken. And so important for you and for me to understand, so important for us to teach our children and our grandchildren that we live in a Genesis 11 sort of world with a Genesis 11 sort of mindset. And there are all sorts of things that we've we've heard today, all sorts of things that we're told over the course of our developing lives that really matter, that we need to remember. But if your kids remember the basics of math and they remember basics of history and they remember enough basics to get their first job and then move on to get a better job and then move on even to get a better job and they remember how to put all of these social and intellectual pieces of life together and they just grow to live in a beautiful house and they grow to drive beautiful cars and go on beautiful vacations and and from the outside looking in from a Genesis 11 sort of mindset they have just realized the American dream. Look at how successful they are. But they don't remember the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They are wasting their lives. And we've wasted our influence if we've taught them that's what it means to be successful. Look at the next verse. Those apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, they said to you that in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. You see, the Genesis 11 heart is just about on every page of the Bible. Don't be surprised by that. God is is telling us nearly from the very beginning. Don't be naive about what sort of world you're living in. You live in a Genesis 11 sort of world. And when you try and live with a different sort of heart, a different sort of mindset, you're going to stand out. There are going to be people who don't understand why. You're going to talk with people who they, they hear that you have been in this building All week long. And you plan on being back two more nights. And that just doesn't make any sense to them. Well, why doesn't it make sense to them? They're walking through life with a Genesis 11 sort of heart. Don't be deterred by that. Next verse. Jude verse 19. It is these who cause divisions. Worldly people. Devoid of the Spirit. They're living for themselves. They're keeping in step with themselves and modern culture. They're following the lead of the crowd. 
And maybe for a really little while it seems to be going really, really well for them. They're not keeping in step with the Spirit. They're not led by the Spirit. They're not walking by the Spirit. They're not living by the Spirit. And right here, 11 pages into God's Word, He shows us where the Genesis 11 sword of heart gets us. So let's end right here in Jude with what A Genesis 12 heart in a Genesis 11 world looks like. Look up back at Jude verse 17 beginning. Jude verse 17. You must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit, but you... Well, that's the pivot in many ways from Genesis 11 to Genesis 12. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. What's a Genesis 11 heart in a Genesis world look like? It builds itself up. But not in the ways that people with a Genesis 11 sort of part do. It builds itself up in the most holy faith. Number two, it, it keeps itself in the love of God. What's it mean to be a disciple in the 21st century? What, what's it going to take for us to, to get along in such a fractured, outraged world the way we've been talking about all week long? Well, it's going to take the right sort of heart. Build yourself up in your most holy faith. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Number three, wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And so one more time this week, I I ask you, what are we building? What are you really building? Are, Are you building anything more significant than your retirement fund? Anything more significant than just family pride? Look at all of the things we've been able to accomplish. Look at all of the places we've been able to go. Look at all of the fun things that we've been able to experience. There's blessings in all of that, right? But we're talking in terms of eternal life. We're talking about building in view of a city that has foundations, who's building an architect. Last passage. We've talked a lot about Abraham tonight. I love how the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 3 makes a direct connection between Abraham and, and where you and I are even this very evening. Paul in Galatians 3 and verse 7 says, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Well, that, that sounds 
familiar, right? That's how Abraham was able to be a friend of God, by, by faith. The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, you remember, this is, this is God's building project. In you, all the nations shall be blessed. And then Paul says, Let, let's talk about those, those nations. And how you and, and me, those who are of faith, are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Well, he lived a long time ago, and I've, I've never met him. I, I, I don't have any reason to expect I'll meet him on this side of death. How in the world can I be a part of his family? Paul says, I'm glad you asked. In Galatians chapter 3 and verse 26, he says, In Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to So all of these things lead us to fundamental forks in the road, don't they? The world makes us promises. God makes us promises. We put them side by side. They can't both be true. Whose promises are we going to believe? The world says one way. God says another way. Whose friend do we want to be? The world has glorious building projects and And God has a glorious building project. Who do we want to build for? The world has a definition of success. God has a very different definition of success. Whose definition are we going to buy into? The world needs a lot of hope and joy and peace right now. We're just going to continue building with a Genesis 11 sort of mindset and, and believe that somehow, some way things are going to get better. Or maybe is it time to build something different for someone bigger than myself? And maybe, just maybe shine as a light in this dark world that is in desperate need of light. We can help you this evening in beginning this journey of having a Genesis 11 or Genesis 12 sort of heart in a, in a Genesis 11 sort of world. We're pointing you to what God has said. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus. We're pointing to you what God can make of you. His heir. Citizen of his kingdom. We're pointing you to the blessings of God that you might be a blessing to the people around you. We're going to stand and sing this song. And if in any way you need to respond to the Lord who has said these things. And we can be of some help. Would you let us know how we can help by coming to the front while we stand and sing together.